how do you respond to Christmas? What's your first inclination? Primary reaction is where, you, where do your thoughts initially go when you think about Christmas? Does it conjure up wonderful childhood memories or nostalgic feelings of warm friends and family tradition and joyous celebration? Maybe this year your heart immediately tenses up, anticipating the holiday rush, last-minute tasks, even though planning for family parties and large gatherings is all but a distant shadow this year. Seems like perhaps Christmas has changed for you and is now a painful reminder of something you would never have chosen to associate with it. Your body's present, but your spirit's just not in it. Maybe you're one of the multitudes who simply doesn't quite know how to respond to Christmas. What do you do? Throughout our lives, the decorations, the gifts, the family gatherings, the get-togethers with friends have all added to the joy of the season. And no question about it. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with any of that. Yet apart from the heart of worship... Those things are completely inadequate responses to the birth of our Savior, aren't they? A.W. Tozer once remarked that worship is the missing jewel of the evangelical church. I would equally suggest that there is a very real danger for worship to become the missing jewel of Christmas. If you're wondering what your response should be to Christmas this year, and especially with all the COVID restrictions being forced upon us, let me suggest to you that you make worship specifically the worship of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, your ultimate priority. Make worship of Christ your ultimate priority. And you know, that might just be the one response the Father is waiting for. In fact, I would go so far to say that not only might it be, it is. Because the spirit of Christmas is the worship of Christ. Our celebration of Christmas ought to flow out of worship, not the other way around. True worship, not just religious activity, is what I'm referring to here. And be assured that that doesn't always happen in a church gathering or kneeling in your bedroom or through pre-packaged programs Worship is infinitely more than a simple activity. A true attitude of worship has everything to do with your heart and your soul. Amen? The only kind of worship that will become fruitful, worship that God would consider state-of-the-art, is first and foremost a state of the heart, right? Worship can be expressed in, in so many ways. In fact, Someone once charged that if your worship service is so regimented and rigid that it cannot be changed, it had better be changed. Maybe we need a change. Maybe God thought we needed a change. You realize that when the Bible speaks of worship, it rarely, rarely descri is described by what we find in most churches on Sunday mornings like this. congregational service. Scripture paints an intensely practical portrait of worship that is primarily personal and open to anyone regardless of social status or distinction, as we just saw. 
As a matter of fact, in the first two chapters of Luke, personal worship is absolutely emphasized and it's all about the varying personal responses to the revelation of God's goodness and grace. Worship in spirit and truth is all through the responses of a variety of different players in the original Christmas drama, an equal opportunity employer, if you want to say it that way. For example, if you're not there yet, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. The first place we see this is in verses 8 to 15 where Zacharias is performing his priestly service. It happened that while he, Zacharias, was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense Offering And an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense and Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you'll give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will drink no wine or liquor. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. So Zechariah is performing his priestly service in worship and he has this visitation. Luke chapter 1 again in verse 26 through 31 and uh, in verse 38 and then 46 to 49 we see another example of worship happening in Mary. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. She was perplexed, kept pondering what kind of situation this was, and the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. And in verse 38, Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord may it be done to me according to your word. She responded in humble submission. That was her act of worship. And the angel departed from her. And now in verse 46, we find that as she met Elizabeth, she responded this way. Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. Again, Mary responding in the spirit in worship. Elizabeth also, if you back up to verse 41, found out, when she heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter 1 again, skip down to verse 67 and 68, we find out again that Zacharias at the birth of John was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. And then in Luke chapter 2, as Jen read this morning, verses 8 to 20, we find out that the angels came and they were 
passing out the message to the shepherds, but in the process of it, they were worshiping. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. And then in verse 22, we see that Mary and Joseph themselves responded also in worship when the days of her purification according to the law of of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord in the temple. Acts of worship yet again in a different context. And then in verse 25 and on down to verse 32, we find out that they meet up with a man by the name of Simeon who was also in the temple and he worshiped at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In verse 27, and he came in the spirit into the temple and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, now Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word for my eyes have seen your salvation. And then one more in Luke 2, verse 36, the prophetess Anna This elderly widow serving in the temple also was worshiping, looking for the redemption of Israel, it says in verse 38. So this morning I want to focus, however, I want to focus on the response of the various characters mentioned in verses 8 through 20 specifically and how we may practically and personally employ those kinds of responses to the birth of Jesus in our own celebration of Christmas on a personal level. And the first thing that I want you to know is that these verses kind of indicate is that we worship Christ through personal praise and thanksgiving. Look at verses 13 and 14 in Luke chapter 2. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that happened which the Lord has made known to us. Verse 13 says, suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God. You see, Personal praise and thanksgiving was part of this whole birth of Christ. Hebrews chapter 13 and verses 15 through 16 says this, Through Jesus then, therefore, let us continually offer up to God a continual sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. And I love the way that the message renders this. The message puts it this way. Let's go outside where Jesus is, where the action is, not trying to be privileged insiders, but taking our share in the abuse of Jesus. This insider world is not our home. We have our eyes peeled for the city about to come. Let's take our place outside with Jesus, no longer pouring out the sacrificial blood of animals, but pouring out sacrificial praises from our lips to God in Jesus' name. Make sure you don't take things for granted and go slack in working for the common good. Share what you have with others. God takes particular pleasure in acts of worship, a different kind of sacrifice that take place in the kitchen and in the workplace and on the streets. This is how we should be responding in a personal way 
by giving praise and thanksgiving to God. Psalm 95 and verses 1 to 3 state this, state it this way. O come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. Verse 6, come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today if you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Do you have a word of praise and thanksgiving in your heart, on your lips? Think about what you would praise God for and thank him for today. These are very practical things that we can give testimony to. If we had more time, I'd open it up for the floor to be able to do this one person at a time. But I want to call on one person just to give a testimony of praise and thanksgiving to our God for what happened this week in one small way. Henry's got something that he'd like to share, a praise. So on Friday, I was uh, in a time of prayer, just asking the Lord, um, you know, show me who I'm supposed to be praying for, who possibly I need to reach out to, what I could do, and... Uh, People came to mind, and, and Franco and Barbie Mendez in, uh, in Mexico. And just laid upon my heart that, um, you know, what are they doing for Christmas? What's the church doing for Christmas? What need could they possibly have? And just felt a uh, burden that we were supposed to do something tangible for them. And so I came back, and uh, I just shared that with Chris and said, Chris, we got, you know, the money to be able to do this. And he, and he agreed, yeah, we do. We could, we could send down a, a gift this week and, and do something special for them, for, for food, for, for people in the church. And so I called Franco and said, Franco, what, what plans do you have for Christmas? He said, well, we, we know we want to put on a meal for the church. And uh, it's, it's not inexpensive. Um, we took a collection and it, it didn't, didn't make it. So uh, Barbie and I went to the market today and we bought the food by faith knowing that we didn't know where it was going to come from, but we just believe it's what God wanted us to do. So I said, Franco, we, and God laid it on our heart to, to give towards that. And he just said, thank you so much, and, and praise God for what he's doing, and thank the church for being the, the channel of this incredible blessing. And amazing just how God works from Maine to Mexico, <laughs> all in just a few minutes. Um, praise his name. Yeah, that was the result of just uh, going out and taking a walk and seeking the Lord's face on how, how the Lord would speak to Henry, bring somebody to mind. And I'm sure that we could have probably a half dozen or more testimonies of the same type of thing. But the point is, is that worship of Christ, we worship Christ through our personal praise and thanksgiving. So take some time to do that. Share with each other the things that are going on in your life, the praises that you have in the midst of a world turned upside down. God is still doing good in the midst of this world through his people. 
Amen? Secondly, we worship Christ through personal experience. Again, in Luke chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And so they came in hurry, in haste, and made their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. What I want to point out to you here in these two verses is that worship is seen as a response to the revelation of God, to God's word. The shepherds acted on what God had made known to them. Even though they had heard the message through the angels, they attributed the revelation as coming from the Lord himself. Look at verse 15 again. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which who made known to them? The Lord. It was the angels that carried the message, but they attributed the revelation to God. And they couldn't help but respond to that. And furthermore, it was a quick response. Friends, we should run to apply God's word to our lives personally when it's revealed to us, shouldn't we? Isn't that what the shepherds did in verse 16? Immediately. And beyond that, they didn't quit until they found the blessing. How often do we respond to God that way? Let me ask you the question, are you running diligently to find the blessing of Christmas? Or are we just running? It's very tempting to just give up and say, well, I'm not just that into it this year. And there are times when I've felt that way. But my friends, if the spirit of Christmas is the worship of Christ, then you and I must make it a personal experience of worship. Practical one. Psalm 34. Psalm 34 and... Let me just read a few verses out of Psalm 34 to you. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord and the humble will hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces will never be ashamed. But this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for to those who fear him there is no want. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves length of days and may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Verse 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Verse 22, the Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who take refuge in him 
will be condemned. Notice in the first few verses here, at least, the first four verses, the personal pronouns that are listed there. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. I sought the Lord and he answered me. This is personal, personal response to the revelation of God's word. This is one of the ways in which we can worship Christ at Christmas. The third thing that we find here in Luke chapter 2 is that we worship Christ through personal testimony. Verses 17 and 18, Luke 2. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told to them about the child, and all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. Then verse 20, the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as had been told them. Part of the result of our worship is to share the news that we've received and responded to with others. Our personal testimony of how God has revealed himself to us may be the very thing that will introduce someone else to the person of Jesus Christ. You know that, right? And it might lead them to become his committed follower as well. It may instill in them, in, in them a sense of, of curiosity and wonder as they hear our story. Again, look at verses 17 and 18, specifically 18, the first line. It says, And all who heard it wondered at the things that were told them by the shepherd. All who heard it wondered. This is such an essential part of the story of Jesus' birth that back in 2005, when we were doing our living nativities every year, we built the whole living nativity theme of 2005 around those words, and all who heard it wondered. The dictionary defines wonder in two distinct ways. The first way is this way, to be filled with curiosity or doubt, a feeling of puzzlement. Now, in all probability, that's what many of your unbelieving friends and family feel about Christmas. They're secretly thinking, I wonder what this whole nativity story is really all about, about Christ being born is all about. I wonder what all that means. But the second definition of wonder is quite different. The second definition is this, something which arouses astonishment, surprise, or admiration. In other words, it's a marvel. So it's something that generates this feeling of awe in us. We are awestruck, right? Not awe, another Christmas season to endure. The hype, the commercialism, the stress, the depression, it's awful. That's not what that's talking about. But rather, I'm stunned. I'm awestruck. I never realized how wonderful Christmas really is. How incredibly personal and profound the real meaning of Christmas is. Did you know that in the Bible, the word wonder is almost never used in the first sense? 
to indicate curiosity. It's almost always used to describe things that are absolutely amazing, awesome, marvelous, literally mind-boggling. And that's what I felt when I first saw that video that I showed. It just reminded me how amazing and how awesome and how mind-boggling literally it is that God would become a baby and be born in that kind of a situation. It's mind-boggling to me that the heavens cannot contain him, but a young Jewish woman named Mary, a virgin, carried him in her womb. Does that not make you awestruck? Like the fact that God who created the entire universe came to us as an infant. That the Savior of the world was born in a shelter for animals in a tiny, out-of-the-way, forgotten little town called Bethlehem, was wrapped in cloths resembling burial strips, certainly not receiving blankets, and laid in a feeding trough, and that the most significant news that the world has ever known, the announcement of his entrance into the world and the gift that he offers you and me was entrusted first to a handful of shepherds in a field full of angels and that 21 centuries later, people of every age group, every tribe, every nation in the world are still talking about it. Is that mind-boggling? They're still discovering the meaning of that. And lives are still being radically changed by that. That just blows my mind. If it fails to blow your mind, then maybe you become way too familiar with Christmas. It is no surprise to me that after the shepherds made this message about the Christ known, that the Gospel of Luke says that all who heard it wondered. It was not a response of curiosity. They were literally astonished. They marveled at the words that they were hearing. So God's desire today is that as you wander through the experience of Christmas this year, that each one of you would be filled with wonder. That you would be moved from the wonder of intellectual curiosity to the awe-inspiring wonder of a spiritual and personal relationship with the one whose birth we celebrate. My prayer is that as you encounter Christmas this year, maybe even through the life-changing story of someone else's salvation experience, that you will find yourself saying these words, I wonder how I could have ever missed the wonder of Christmas. Psalm 66, verses 8 and 9, and then verses 16 and 17 say this, Let the whole world bless our God and sing aloud his praises. Our lives are in his hands. Did you get that? Our lives are in his hands. And he keeps our feet from stumbling. Come and listen, all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he did for me. 
for I cried out to him for help, praising him as I spoke. Here's a service challenge for you, okay? Between now and Christmas, five days away, share your personal testimony, if you are a believer in Christ, share your personal testimony with somebody. Starting right now, begin to pray and ask God to give you an opportunity this week to actually do that. And keep your eyes and ears open for the opportunity. You know, and I say this in all humility, the people, people, you know, people are tired of COVID-19, aren't you? I am. I think people are tired of hearing about COVID stats and masks and numbers and mandates and opinions. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have them or we shouldn't articulate them in a respectful and honest way. We absolutely should. But you know what? Let's just take a siesta for a, a few days, huh? And go and give them Jesus. Try that for a change. When you go into Walmart and the guard says, put that mask on. What are you going to do? Are you going to get in his face? No. Why don't you put your arm around and say, you know what, guy? you got a tough job here right now. Can I pray for you? And then pray for that guy. Pray for his family. Pray for the people that he has to deal with on a regular basis. Pray for his salvation. Do that. Be bold. Might open up an opportunity to share your testimony with that guy. Isn't that what we're called to do as Christians? Be salt and light in the world? Go and give him Jesus. Just do it. That's what we're called to. Psalm 96, verses 1 to 3. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and praise his name. Every day, tell how he saves us. Every day, tell how he saves us. Tell the nations of his glory. Tell all peoples the miracles he does. In verse 19 of Luke chapter 2, we find that there's another way that we can worship Christ, and that's through personal reflection. Personal reflection. Verse 19 says, But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. So Mary practiced this kind of worship, personal reflection. She did it on more than one occasion during this narrative, as a matter of fact. In chapter 1, verse 29 we find out, but she was very perplexed at the announcement of, of the angel's message at the statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. Gabriel's word completely disrupts her world. It is anything but welcome. It comes not as a word of comfort or consolation to her, but rather as a frightening word and disturbing word. How did she respond to it? It says, by pondering what this revelation meant. She literally tossed it around in her mind, around and around in her mind, and kept going over it and over it and over it. Now, granted, not many of us are hearing angel voices today. But we are hearing God's word, aren't we? What are you doing with God's word when you hear it? Do you sit in wonder of it? Are you casting it around in your mind over and over again, contemplating 
what this means, what God is trying to say. Mary was astonished that God would grace her by speaking to her. Are you that sensitive to God's grace in your life when he speaks to you through this revealed word? Whenever Mary heard God's word about his son, she molded over in her mind in this context. She meditated on it. And he, she kept going over it and going over it in her heart. She continually kept it in memory and she guarded it like a treasure. That should be our response, shouldn't it? Let me ask you, do you contemplate and meditate on God's word, constantly comparing and trying to put it all together and guarding it safely? Do you ever meditate? Now, the word meditate scares a lot of people, doesn't it? It kind of sounds alien to us. Uh, don't Buddhists meditate? People wonder. One author says, and of course they do, but as a friend of mine says, they eat breakfast too, but we don't have a problem with eating breakfast. <laughs> the reality is that everyone meditates. Everyone meditates. Meditation is simply the process by which the mind dwells with some intensity for a duration over a thought or image. The issue when it comes to meditation is what, not if. Meditation is not a confusing activity, folks. In a sense, meditation, get this now, meditation is just positive worry. Think about that. If you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. Is that not true? To practice, take the statement from Psalm 16, verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Say these words out loud several times and let them roll around in your mind. I have set the Lord before me. Just take that phrase. Take some time to imagine how this might get actually experienced in your life. What would it be like to wake up with God on my mind? What would it feel like at night if I were aware of him as I dropped off to sleep? What would my conversation be like with other people if God were the unseen third party that was present? You see, friends, before you and I can ever respond rightly to the revelation of God in Christmas, we must consider his word so carefully and prayerfully through personal reflection and reliance upon the Spirit's guidance that we recognize how graced we are that he would and should communicate with us through it. Do you ever just sit and mull over in your minds what God has truly done for you and in you and around you? Do that today, tonight, tomorrow, maybe even in the next 15 seconds. Take at least a half hour sometime this week, get alone somewhere out of the media fast lane, you know, turn off the TV and the cell phone, the iPad, the Facebook and YouTube and reflect upon Jesus is coming into this world to save your soul, to save you. Think about his birth. Think about his death. 
Think about his resurrection and how it has affected you personally. That, if nothing else, should cause you to worship him. And then fifthly, we worship Christ through personal sacrifice. You're going to find that in Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. Beginning in verse 7. And this is how the, the video ended. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared and he sent them to Bethlehem and he said, go and search carefully for the child and when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. Liar. After hearing the king, they went their way and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. You see what they did? Giving, they gave they went, they gave of themselves, their time, the talent, treasure. You can do the same thing. Give some of yourself for someone else. In Jesus' name, for Jesus' sake. Sacrifice that has the wrong motive, you know, is not worth much, so let's check our motives. As we give, is it really for Jesus or is it for our own ego? Because we've got to check the box because, you know, that person's on our list. Or because they gave us something, so we need to return the favor. You know, I got a Christmas card once that said it quite well. Wise men came with the treasures of earth in their hands, and they left with the treasure of heaven in their hearts. Will you? Because that's really the essence of giving at Christmas, isn't it? Martin Luther once said, I have held many things in my hands and have lost them all, but whatever I have placed in God's hands, that I still possess. Sacrifice that has a proper motive is well-pleasing to God. That's what Hebrews 13, 16 says, and do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. That's our mandate. Many years ago, I heard a story that made my eyes swell with tears. Gloria Gaither actually told this story, and which many of you may have heard before. She told this story uh, of what the coming of Christ cost her tiny daughter at the time, one particular year. It seems that, that she developed an intense fear of cameras, and because of their musical popularity, she and her family were always being photographed, and their daughter, probably three or four years old, became terrified, absolutely terrified of cameras, and would actually become hysterical whenever someone pointed one at her. Consequently, Bill, her father, had no picture of her to show when he traveled with other dads. And so, one day, the family teaching centered around the fact that a gift should always cost something of ourselves. And shortly after this, the young girl said to her mother, Mom, Daddy has no picture of me to show the other dads, does he? 
I want to give him a picture of me this Christmas. And her mother said, you know what that means? Yes, she said. Gloria said, well, I want you to think about it and be sure and then tell me if you still want to do it. So her daughter came back a couple of days later and said, Mom, I think you should make the appointment. Gloria related that she did make the appointment and when the day came, she got her daughter all dressed up beautifully, fixed up her hair and just, just right for the picture and they went together to the photographer and Gloria shared that as they walked holding hands into the studio that she could feel her daughter's grip so tight that her little fingernails left imprints on the palm of her mom's hand. But she let go and the photographer managed to get a great smile on the first shot and made it through two more shots before the tears began to run. Just three pictures. They got three good shots. And on Christmas morning when her dad opened the gift, his eyes were flooded. For he understood the great sacrifice that his little daughter had to make for that picture. That illustrates perfectly David's attitude in 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 24, when he said, I will not sacrifice to the Lord, my God, burnt offerings that cost me nothing. You see, when you truly worship Christ, it's going to cost something. It's going to cost you and I something. What's it going to cost you this year? Your personal surrender to Christ might just be the best gift that you can give this year to somebody. To your spouse or to your children or to one another and most of all to Jesus. And that, after all, is what this holiday, this holy day, is entirely about, isn't it? Christmas is about what Christ wants. But we're often confused about that fact. One little girl's post-Christmas response was right on target. When someone stooped to ask her, did you get everything you wanted for Christmas? How many times do you ask somebody that, right? Did you get everything you wanted for Christmas? The little girl replied confidently, no. But then again, it's not my birthday. So why don't you... And I make it personal this year, if you haven't already. As you celebrate Christ's birth, give him what he wants. He wants your heart. He wants your soul. He wants your mind. And he deserves our worship. Psalm 96, verses 7 and 9, and we'll close with this. O nations of the world, recognize the Lord. Recognize that the Lord is glorious and strong. Give to the Lord the glory he deserves. Bring your offering and come to worship him. Worship the Lord in all of his holy splendor. Let all the earth tremble before him because our Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you so much that we have the opportunity to worship you, that you've given us that freedom, that you've given us that call, that you have revealed to us, Lord, the Savior of the world, that you've forgiven us all of our transgressions. You keep not one of them. 
You choose not to think about them and you've separated us from them as far as the east is from the west. That you have poured forth your mercy and your grace upon us in such an astounding way that we can't help but sit in wonder. Help us to ponder these things as Mary did. To cast them around in our hearts and in our minds. And may we respond to you this year above all other years in acts of personal worship. For you deserve it. For you are Lord. This I ask in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.